You're listening to a podcast from Grace Church in Salado, Texas. For more information and resources just like this, visit us online at gracesalado.com. When I grew up, I, or as I was growing up, I was always told, we know when God's at work, whenever you see the enemy at work, and I, I didn't like that because that limits the work of God to us gauging it based on what the enemy's doing. I didn't like giving the enemy that much credit. But I will say this last week, uh, with all the complications, all the things that sort of popped up into this weekend, uh, students, I knew that you were going to encounter the living God. And I pray that you did. And um, this church is for you. We love you. And um, you're never, 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 never need to ever listen to the lie that you are alone. Okay? We are with you. All right? So happy to be a part of what I can learn from you. And uh, I can't wait to hear the story. So as Corey said, let's look at Psalm 145. If you're just joining us, if you don't know who I am, by the way, I'm sorry I didn't introduce myself. I'm Jason Goings. I'm the pastor of Preaching and Vision here. And it is my joy to lead us into this series that we have called Grow in Awe. And what we did at the beginning was we started with Psalm 19 and we looked at how God is a revealing God. He is revealing enough to us to invite us in to be in awe of him. And we saw in Psalm 19 that he has a a way he generally reveals enough for us to be in all of him. And then he specifically reveals to us so that we have the opportunity to be in all of him through, through Christ and through his word and through his rules and his laws and precepts. And then we come to this Psalm 145, and I think this is our second or third week in here. In this chapter, we see David's explosion of praise. An explosion of praise that is declaring one grand thing in this chapter. Uh, Students, if you're weary of sleep, you don't catch anything else in the rest of the sermon, or host homes or parents, if you had the weekend out because your students are away and you're sleeping whatever this morning, here is the theme of Psalm 145. Here's what David is after. He is saying, God is is supreme. And he's exploding with praise of this. David knows this personally as his God. And he knows this and he bows and reveres his whole life to him as his king. God he knows as a personal God that he worships and adores and he knows him as his king that he bows to and listens to and submits to and applies his rules to his life. And then we come to our text today. But in case you missed it last week, let's go back and read verses 1, and then we're going to move all the way down through verse 5. Corey actually will come next week and expound a little more on verse 4 than what I'm able to do today. But we're going to look at verse 1 and then pick it up in verse 3 today. So, a song of praise of David I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name. Forever and ever, every day, I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. 
and then our passage this week. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works I will meditate. Lord, teach us these things. Show us something that we can apply now, today, that would lift up our hearts and our minds, that would move us from hopelessness to hope, that would trigger or ignite a heart that burns for you. We want to encounter you. Lord, help us. In Jesus' name, amen. In the verses here, I want us to notice three things mainly. Three things. So if you're writing notes, these are the three main points. The first thing I want us to notice is that God's supremacy is great. It is deep and wide. Don't worry, I'm not going to sing it. But God's supremacy is great. Second thing I want us to notice from these few verses here is God's supremacy must be shared. Thirdly, God's supremacy must be enjoyed. That's where we're going today. So first of all, let's look at it one at a time. God's supremacy is great, deep, and wide. Great, verse 3, is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. The longest reigning monarch in history um, just barely beat out Queen Elizabeth II by two and a half years, but French King Louis XIV reigned for 72 years and 110 days. That's a long reign. 72 years. You may cheer for or get tired of the person you vote for in just a year and a half. 72 years of reigning. But there's a limit. The limit was 72 years. Many believe that one of the greatest sights in the world, and perhaps and specifically in our country, is the Grand Canyon. How many of you have been to the Grand Canyon? That's a lot of people. Okay. All right. Well, 277 miles long, 277 miles long, 18 miles wide. I think the 18 miles wide impresses me a little more than the 277 miles long, but this is what really gets me. It's one mile deep into the earth is this canyon. It is 1,904 square miles in total. This is indeed a canyon that is grand, but it's a canyon with limits, with measurables. I just throw out numbers about miles long and wide and deep, and these numbers have been recorded, and they can measure. I don't know how long it took to measure the depth of the Grand Canyon or the width of it. Mount Everest. How many of you have climbed my 
not as many hands. Mount Everest, 29,032 feet, the tallest peak in the world. It has limits. You know how I know that? I have seen the peak of Mount Everest in an airplane looking out the, the window when we were coming into Kathmandu. I saw it, and I thought, it doesn't look that bad. We were, I looked down on the peak. It's measurable. Its limit is measurable, 29,000 feet. That's how big and grand Mount Everest is, the Mariana Trench. How many of you have swum, swum to the bottom of? It's 36,201 feet deep. You take Mount Everest and you plant it at the very bottom of the Mariana Trench, and it is still below sea level by over 2,000 feet. Think about that. There are limits to the trench. There are limits all the way up to the peak of Mount Everest. God's limits are unsearchable. Isaiah 40, verse 12, just the first part of this verse says this, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand or marked off the heavens with the span of his hand? This is the prophet declaring, there is one who has done this and can do this. So I tried to put this to the test. How much water can I measure in my hand? I remember when I was uh, a, a bully dad in the swimming pool, I would get water in my hand and I would squirt it at my kids. And they're like, where's that water coming from? And why are you squirting it in my face? Still do this, so don't invite me to come swimming. I'll do that. But I remember thinking, boy, I could collect a lot of water in my hand. So Last night, I thought, well, I'm, I'm bored. My family's away. Let me just see how great my hand is. And so I started. I didn't, now I wasn't arrogant. I didn't start out with a whole bowl full of water, right? Uh, like a lot of us would, like, let me try to get this whole bowl of water in my hand. Well, obviously, I didn't do that. So I started with a, a tablespoon of water. One, I couldn't even control the tablespoon of water and keep it in the tablespoon thing just to get to my hand. But then sure enough, when I put it in my hand, it just spilled all over the place. So then I said, let me do half a tablespoon. Got all the way down to a teaspoon. And I could kind of hold the teaspoon of water in the crevice of my hand. If I cupped it just right and squeezed my thumb, and, but any like little movement, a step this way, and all of a sudden the water would pour out. I got it to where a half a teaspoon, I could get in there and take two steps, and I felt really good about myself. All the waters of the world are held in the hollows of God's hand, and he's taken a lot of actions on top of just doing that. I couldn't take, get to my second step without a teaspoon, half a teaspoon, spilling out somewhere. I have limits. How much water can you hold in your hand? God is supreme. What God supremacy means is that he is without limits. What his limitless supremacy means for us is this. God's existence is not limited. He will never die. 
It means that God's attributes are not limited. We're going to look at those, what David gets into a little later. David, um, or David, not King David, will talk about this in a few weeks when we look at the attributes of God. His attributes are not limited, which means they're not diminishing. Uh, my memory, my strength, all of that is limited. God's limited. God's strength, his attributes are not dissipating or waning in any bit. God's work is not limited. One of the things we love to say when we take the Lord's Supper is we say that this cup represents his blood, which is enough. It's supreme blood. His work is not limited. His creativity, his power are beyond our understanding. God's entire self is unlimited. He cannot be completely measured. Now, the limitlessness of God causes problems for us, does it not? Do we not sometimes get stressed out when we try to figure God out? Try being a pastor when different generations have different questions about God and trying to figure out where do you think they're going to go to? Well, pastor, if God, then fill in the blank. This is a difficult role to be in in life. This is an interesting career that God has empowered people to serve in because here's the beauty about this. If you have something wrong with your car and you take it to a mechanic and you go to the mechanic and say, I need, it's making the sound and this is doing this and, and uh, you're the mechanic, so why is it doing that? And if the mechanic says to you, I don't know. If you're sick and you got an issue and you go to the doctor and you say, here's what's happening when this is happening and I need you to come and explain to me why this is happening this way. The doctor, because he's gone to all the school and the body's limited, the doctor should be able to say something. If the doctor says, like the mechanic, I don't know, what do you do? Well, you go to a different mechanic, right? You go to a different doctor. As followers of God, there are times where we just have to say, I don't know. I can't measure God. I can't limit him. to. I don't know what he's doing here. I can, we can dive into the word. We can explore it as much as we can. God's supremacy is great. David says here his ways are unsearchable. This means that we are going to have to be okay bumping into mystery when we seek the Lord. Deuteronomy 29, 29, I actually refer to it a lot as a preacher in counseling sessions, Sunday mornings, but it says this. The hidden things belong to the Lord our God. But the revealed things belong to us and our children forever so that we may follow all the words of this law. There are hidden things that belong to God forever. Does that stress you out? We cannot be measuring God. There is no 
time, nor is there ever going to be a generation that will ever be able to say, we've got God figured out. We've got them mastered. God is mysterious, and God is not a mystery to be solved because his supremacy is not solvable. He is not a puzzle that we can pour out and put the pieces and in our pride, in our joy, frame it and put it on the wall and say, look what I did. I framed out and I have put all the pieces of God together. And then when we're bored with it, we just put him back into a box that limits him. Great. Great is the Lord. And greatly to be praised. And his greatness is unsearchable. King David here reminds us that God is supreme. He is so supreme that his greatness is limitless and completely unknowable. Completely unknowable. He is knowable. But he's completely unknowable. Like, he is knowable. And I'm confusing you. You're with me? Okay? He is knowable, but there's, there's no end to the search of knowing more and more and more about God. But what is known must be shared. God is supreme. He's deep and wide. God's supremacy is great. That's the first point. Second point is this. God's supremacy must be shared. One way that we pray something as supreme is we share its greatness to others or with others. When we see something as great, we like to talk about how great it is. God's supremacy must be shared. Isn't that what Deuteronomy 29 and 29 is saying? Let's read it again. The hidden things belong to the Lord our God, but the revealed things belong to us and to our children forever. There's a sharing that must have. God's supremacy is I'm going to let you in on some of these things about me. What I do give you you are responsible to share. In verse 4, that's what David is doing as he extends this command as a responsibility that we all must own. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. God's supremacy and greatness must be shared as praise. Commend the great works of God. Declare the mighty acts of God. You might be here and you're thinking, wait a minute, if God is mysterious and supreme and without limits and perhaps unsearchable in all these ways, then how are we to commend and declare his great and mighty works, and what are we to even share and pass on to the next generation, the next people as well? We can answer that. I'm going to answer that in part today. Corey will talk about it uh, more next week. Let's talk about the what we can declare first and then briefly touch on the how. The what is we commend the work of God. We commend the works of God. 
we can sort of categorize these in these understandings that we've seen God work in creation. That, isn't that what Psalm 19 was about? Behold, declare, the stars are declaring his handy work. Don't we see that? We can, in creation, you can be declaring, you can be commending. What does it look like in your household when the storms are rolling in? Well, here's how it looks like in my household. I am noticing the roly-polies that are making an intrusion up my driveway into my garage. And I'm like, huh, there must be something coming. And then just a few minutes later, I can see the storm rolling in from the doodle bug to the turning clouds. I'm commending that God created both. And it's good, and it's wise, and it's beautiful. Little things. Look for it. Commend the work of God in creation. Commend the work of God in revelation. Again, it's what Psalm 19 was telling us, that he is revealing generally, he's revealing specifically. Today, we commend the work of God in salvation. As we take the Lord's Supper, we are saying that what God did in sending his son for our sins is something we needed. That he has done the work in saving us and he is doing the work in keeping us saved. Do you commend that in your homes? Do you talk about it? We can commend the work of eternal exaltation culmination of all things that is promised that he who began a good work in you will see it to completion start here start with these if you don't know what to commend you don't if he's unsearchable and you're just dumbfounded by there's these hidden things by God well there's things revealed I just shared with you four of them talk about them all the time they're supreme taste them and see the mighty work of God in your life. That's what we can share, how we can share it. Just real briefly, I'll touch on this briefly. It says that we ought to commend what is great and mighty. We are to praise God as supreme. Don't just talk about his works. We are to praise him. Listen, I think there are several things that, that build a platform for future generations to walk away from a Christ-centered life. There's a few things that, that we all do, cultures do, generations do, that help build the platform that escort the coming generations away from God. I'll just share with you two of those that I have seen as part of that platform. First of all, we build this platform of generations leaving God when the older generations commend lesser things. I'll give you one example or several examples here, I guess. Um, I don't know how more excited I could have been when I started seminary. There's all these other classes, but when I signed up for Missiology 101, that's the kind of nerd that I am. The study and the history of missions. I'm going to seminary. I'm going to get this three and a half, four year for me, a little longer than that, degree. And this class on missions was the one I was the most excited about. And 
without a doubt, the class I was the most disappointed in. The reason why is because as I went to my seminary, I was salivating most of the time. I'm the student that's sitting in the back like, oh, please don't call on me. Please don't call on me. Please don't call on me. This class, I'm front center. Let's go. I'm ready to chew. I'm ready to eat. So the bar was pretty high. Well, we get a missionary uh, that came right off the mission field. They bring him in to teach his class. The first day, he's 12 minutes late. Next day, 15 minutes late. This was his pattern. He was on missionary time. Only a 50-minute class. I was pretty disappointed at that. But here's what happened. As he began to talk and teach about missions, this is God's work throughout the world, he began and he concentrated all of the work on the Southern Baptist Convention's International Mission Board. Good instrument, right? Good, doing things across the world. And I thought, okay, I'll give him a, he's starting out with that. Okay, but, but maybe he's starting here, and then he's going to go here. Never once in the semester did we explore the deeper histories of God's missional work, starting with the book of Acts, or actually starting in creation with Eden. And over and over and over again, here's a professor that just kept highlighting and talking about this one strategy in missions, this one group of people, large, yes, effective in a lot of ways, but he was commending something lesser than what is supreme. We do this with our leadership conferences and conferences we go to when leaders fly in, oh, they're really big-name leaders, and it's like, oh, wait till you hear this guy talk. Wait till you hear this woman talk, and they're going to talk. They're going to blow her. You're going you're gonna to wish you were the kind of leader, and they say things like everything rises and falls on leadership, and the promotion is of lesser things. We do this. And we are marching the next generation down a platform as they look at what we're promoting and go, you know what? We can do better. We can do better. This could be better. This could be better. Well, we've done it by highlighting and commending lesser things. There's another way that we lead the younger generations into a boring, praiseless abyss. And that is when we command and demand understanding of God by rote or by duty. When teaching about God is mechanical and mostly about memorizing and claiming doctrinal words to regurgitate, we're on the brink of losing a generation. God's Supremacy is great, and it must be shared, and it must be shared by praise. Notice the emphasis here by King David. One generation shall commend, commend your work to another and shall declare your mighty acts. Let me ask you this question. Do you commend and declare God's works more than you command and demand God's rules. Let me ask it again. Do you commend and declare God's works 
more than you command and demand God's rules. The things revealed belong to God. The things revealed to, I mean, the things hidden belong to God. The things revealed belong to us and our children. Let me ask you, what are you promoting? What are you praising and celebrating with your life? If I command rules to be obeyed in my home, and I say, not that I say it this way, thus saith the Lord, but if I say, God is pleased when you do this, God wants you to do this, here are the rules that God has for us, but then they watch me get decked out in Steelers gear when the Steelers are on, and I'm losing my mind, and when they kick a last-second field goal, tears come to my eyes, and I'm like, whoa, give me the terrible towel. I can't wait to wave it. You know what I'm raising in my life, in my home? I'm commending the Steelers. And I'm raising kids who are going to be bored with the church. Does that make sense? There's a way that we can commend God's work and applaud it and say, yes, that's what it's about. That's what life's about. And we can still use the tools and and celebrate what God has created to do to help us. But God's supremacy is so great. The generations want to see the older generations be in awe of God. Can we grow in that together? So where we're going with this, what David's leading us here is, thirdly, God's supremacy must be enjoyed. Verse 5, on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. You would never show a child the Grand Canyon, lead them up to the edge, and you're not going to be able to pass off the majesty and the supremacy or what limit it is of the Grand Canyon, if you bring the child up to the Grand Canyon, you say, okay, now tell me all the facts about the Grand Canyon. No, no, no. Before you get to enjoy it, just tell me what you know about the, like list the details, the mileage of deep and wide, how long it is, how many people come and tour the Grand Canyon, how many directions are there to the Grand Canyon. So you're teaching them all these facts about the Grand Canyon. You know what's going to Bring the child back and back and back to the Grand Canyon is for you to bring them to the Grand Grand Canyon and let them watch you fill with tears and stunned awe and go, wow, 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 right? Like, I'm pointing to my kid, wow, right? Like, do you feel it? you feel it with me? Like, I'm feeling, wow. Where is that in your home? We're more in all of our problems. We're more in all of our issues. We're more in all of that person's imperfection that we're, we're, we're living with. This kid's not doing it right. This husband's not doing it right. This wife's not doing it right. We're on, on. That's what our kids are growing up. Listen, where are the homes where we're just, like, coming to God every day in the splendor of his majesty just going, Right? Wow. 
on the glorious splendor of his majesty and on his wondrous works, we must meditate. Let me ask you this morning, what is the kingdom of God like to you? When you hear that phrase, because remember David refers to God as his king, so he has a kingdom. When you hear the phrase kingdom of God, what comes to your mind? Jesus explains to us what the kingdom of God is like. These are the people who make up the kingdom of God. Matthew 13, he says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure buried in a field that a man found and reburied. Then in his joy, he goes and sells everything he has and buys that field. If you hear your dad come home, say, give me all your stuff. Why do you want all my stuff, dad? Oh, because I just found something that's worth way more than everything in this house together. What is that? Well, it's a treasure. What's going to happen in that kid's life? First, is going to be like, I don't trust you. I don't believe this. I'm losing all this stuff. And then when they actually get to behold the treasure, they're going to be like, my dad was in awe of this treasure. And he's right. The kingdom of heaven is like people in awe of Jesus Christ, in awe of the king, in awe of God. It goes on. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. When he found one priceless pearl, he went and sold everything he had, and he bought it. That's the invitation that Jesus gives to us. Seek me and be satisfied. Come to me, all who are weary, and find rest. Come and stand at the edge of the the supremacy where there is no limits. Come and stand and behold and let others see you. Behold me. Come be in awe of the splendor of his majesty. What is your relationship with God like? It probably is not entirely unlike what I experienced this week when I saw this big banner in my study that I've had, it's life first that I have, Psalm 1611. It says, you revealed to me the path of life, and in your presence there is the fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And as I stood at that and I saw that as a reminder this week, I realized all the other things that have wowed me this week more than even getting in the presence of the Lord. And immediately I said, oh God, I didn't bow to the banner, but I ran to the Lord and said, God, you are the treasure. You are, it is in your presence. There is fullness of joy. This morning, I encourage you to pray that Just say, God, I want to submit all the lesser things that I've been commending and praised. I want to just die to them. I want to get rid of them. I want to pursue you. I want to be in awe 
of you. I want to praise your supremacy and enjoy it. Just a real brief church history 101. If God is not known as supreme and praiseworthy in one generation, then it is likely because a previous generation stopped living in awe of God. Real simple. If you see a generation that frustrates you, whether older, younger, whatever, there is a generation before them that just stopped modeling what all of God looks like. And it rolls down to the next and to the next and to the next. Next thing we have is generation blaming, generational shaming, disunity all over the place. People of grace, as we close, my prayer is this. And my pleading is for you to be a part of a family, of a kingdom of God that says enough is enough. I'm going to start with me. I'm going to join David's explosion of praise. And starting today, I will know and seek the one who is supreme. I will commend his works when I see them. I will talk about them. I will praise them. And privately, I will strive and ask for the Lord to help me enjoy his supremacy over everything else in our life. Trade in all the other treasures for the treasures of walking with Christ. I want to pray for you. And if this is overwhelming, there should be something about this invitation that is convicting. There should be something that's inspiring. What we are inviting and helping one another do is get into groups, talk this out. This is what's working in my life. This is what's working in my life. Explain it, share it, commend the work of the Lord, and watch your awe of God grow and grow and grow. We need each other to help one another die to things we shouldn't and grow in all the splendor and the supremacy of God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you, thank you, thank you. God, the work of sending your son to us, we, we don't ever want to get over it. We want to celebrate it, Lord. We want to be in awe of it. We need your help. Lord, put people in our lives that's going to be in awe of you and lead us to the splendor and the majesty of God. Help the songs that we sing make sense to us and feel it deeply. Help the word of God come alive so that we gladly trade away other time commitments to spend time meditating on the splendor and the majesty of God. Help us, oh Lord, please. There's so much competing for my meditation and my thoughts. I need you. We need you, Lord, to help us. And we pray all this in the name of Christ.